This is Making It Happen by Sims, a podcast that brings people, business and technology together. Um, I'd like to welcome you to another Making IT Happen Sims podcast. And again, delighted to be joined by uh, Roger Whitzel, the uh, CEO at uh, Jigsaw24, based up in Nottingham. Um, and Matt Morris, uh, who works with us at Sims, uh, uh, overall guiding our uh, net zero uh, goal that we're trying to achieve. So um, good to see you both. Um, Morning. So I think it's about a year since we last spoke. Uh, much has happened uh, uh, in the world since then. The, the ghastly wars in uh, in Ukraine and uh, Israel, um, but linked back home, I think. In fact, we were talking about this earlier, uh, where we as a country are and the journey to the ambitious plans that were outlined. Um, uh, uh, earlier, do we think there's a slight lessening of an enthusiasm to get to carbon neutral globally? Roger, what do you uh, what, what are your thoughts? I don't think there's a lessening of enthusiasm. I think that people are very very worried about the day to day. Economics obviously focuses everyone's minds first and foremost. If you haven't got enough money to meet your bills. If you are an individual or a family or a company, or dare I even say a country, uh, sometimes these so-called conceptual aspirations, although I think it's a lot more than a conceptual aspiration when you see what's happening to floods or to droughts, uh, tend to go to the background. Uh, People are worried about all sorts of other things at the moment. And the politicians in various countries are also worried about the short-term opinion polls and so on and you know there is no doubt that we need a considerable amount of investment to uh, and slightly more of a long-term view maybe uh, or medium-term view to make our net zero ambitions work and so when you're faced with an acute economic crisis and your mortgage rates have doubled or your energy bills have doubled oh the irony why the energy bills doubled but we can go get onto that uh uh, it isn't just the war in Ukraine. It's because we haven't been investing enough in in alternative sources. Uh, I can see why people have worried. So, but I don't think it's a lesson in the enthusiasm. I think people are just worried about the economy. Yeah, uh, and, and Matthew, your 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 views. You, you uh, align very much with what Roger's saying. Any, anything you'd like to add? Well, I think um, I, 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 despite the you know background, current background, and and what's going on around the world, I'm I'm still. Uh, remain to the positive about the developments that are being made with regard to the rollout and the implementation of renewable energy sources, um, the investments that are being made and the uh, good progress, basically, that's being made towards net zero. I mean, I think um, some of the achievements don't really get enough recognition or enough coverage. Um, I think there are improvements to be made but generally speaking I, I generally remain sort of positive about what's happening so far um uh yeah I think I think it's there there is there is some room for optimism in what's going on with with regards to renewable energy and sustainability yeah and I think um certainly uh bringing it relevant to, the, to this podcast um 
that uh, optimism and enthusiasm very much at Sims. And again, since our last podcast, um, are you happy to uh, update uh, listeners on the various activities that we've uh, invested in in the last 12 months? Yes. I'm, um, so the solar PV uh, array at Sims is, is uh, almost a year old now. Um, it's uh, been generating uh, as as predicted. Um, uh, the forecast uh, is, was accurate and uh, we're tracking the performance uh, regularly. Um, at points during the summer, Sims was effectively off-grid. It was operating only from electricity generated from the, the roof, which is pretty amazing. And the self-sufficiency has been as high as I think just over 70%. Obviously that that varies according to the time of year, but certainly um, Sims is on track to generate um, 100%, if, if not more of its, of its annual uh, electricity demand from, from its rooftop uh, now, which is, which is great news. Uh, we then moved on to completing um, a set of uh, electric vehicle charging points. Um, I think there's a total of, is it a nine? As there was one, two existing, so I think there's uh, nine in total now. And last time I went to the car park, I was pleased to see several battery electric vehicles plugged in and happily charging away. And I think the, uh, I know that the company has been supporting staff um, with salary sacrifice scheme. I think that's right, isn't it? That uh, yeah, staff correct, be yeah. supported to purchase their uh, sort of commuting vehicle, the battery electric vehicle. So I think generally feedback's good. Um, certainly they're being um, uh, starting to be used more so. And every time I head up to Lenham, um, there's more questions about vehicles and, and whether they're the right thing to do and, and what their pros and cons are, which is always a good discussion to have with people. And more recently, we've moved on to the installation of the air source heat pump. So this is a 16 kilowatt unit that is uh, being commissioned um, and fine-tuned at the moment, but uh, effectively the gas boiler has been taken out. It's been decommissioned and will be removed and the sub gas supply will be capped. So effectively, Sims now is no longer reliant on fossil gas for heating. Um, so those are the three sort of bits of technology that have happened over the last 12 months. And the other, the other important piece of information really is the the purchase of a, a of a an arable plot um, within Kent, quite local to the business to to Sims, where a biodiversity net game project is being planned. Um, we've had uh, several conversations with potential partners on that one. And essentially, it's a rewilding project linked to Biodiversity Net Game, which is a developer-led scheme for offsetting biodiversity loss. And it has the potential to produce a carbon offset that can be uh, used by SIMS to um, deal with scope three emissions, for example. So essentially, we're dealing very strongly with scope one and two with the technology that I just described and scope three uh, greenhouse gas emissions will be dealt with by the greenhouse gas, um, the biodiversity net gain project. So in total, there's four quite significant things that have happened over the last 12 months and there's more work to do, but it's it's looking very strong at the moment. Yeah, no, thank you, Matt. Thanks for outlining that. Uh, and Roger, with uh, uh, Jigsaw 24, um, I know EV charges are very prominent uh, at, uh, at your offices. Um, Anything else that you, you're working on or planning in, in, in the next couple of years? 
Uh, I mean, first of all, congratulations to Sims because those are some fantastic moves. So you are generating nearly all of your electricity. You're actually generating it, which we're not yet. And you've cut off gas. I assume you were never on coal or oil. So you're fossil fuel free now. It's quite hard to say that after 14 gin and tonics. Uh, but it's only in the morning. I haven't had any gin and tonics yet. So you're fossil fuel free. You're generating power. You're using it in an efficient way within a heat pump. You're charging your cars. And then you've got a fantastic commitment to nature action as well. Uh, I know that there can be controversy about using a land to offset, but you're just doing the right thing. And that's the way I always approach it. Uh, planting trees is the right thing to do, full stop. It's just the right thing to do. There is nothing to say. Now, whether or not you choose afterwards to argue that that's doing anything on the offsetting side is, is a secondary point. And the most important point is to look after nature. And, and that land that you've bought is not going to be filled with concrete or a factory or a coal-fired power station. It's going to be filled with uh, biodiversity, which is going to be helping the environment. So, you know, congratulations to Sims. Uh, Jigsaw 24, we're also uh, gas-free. Obviously, no oil or coal as well. We've now... we've upgraded some of our properties this year and moved around and we acquired a small business. Uh, so basically all our properties are, interestingly, uh, the electricity comes from different providers, but it's all go rego backed R-E-G-O, which is the government scheme to show that it is, we're getting all of our power from sustainable sources. Uh, the, electric, the electric car project goes from strength to strength. We've had about a quarter of our employees purchase uh, lease an electric car um charge stations in all our offices uh and we've done a really 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 good job now at calculating our carbon footprint in some considerable detail and we're at the largest b2b apple dealership in the country so apple's very important to us so we're also carefully watching all of the carbon footprint that we've that is involved with the machine, the, the, the devices that we sell. We sell about 150,000 devices a year. And apart from AirPods, which is still a key emission, Apple now do give the global carbon footprint of their products, of all of them. This is according to ISO 14040 and 14044. The controversy on the watch is that they've got the, the footprint down to between, depending on the model, seven and 12 kilos per watch, which is an absolutely astounding achievement. And that is verified by the ISO. The controversy then starts with Apple are now declaring that certain of those watches are carbon neutral, which is their wording, is not backed by the ISO, because they are claiming that they have highly responsible offsetting projects, nature-based, which are able to take that seven to 12 kilos down to zero. That is the bit which is in doubt. The important point to emphasize, though, is that the watch is only 7 to 12 kilos in the first place. And there was a time when watches, I mean, Apple's laptops now are, are, are of the order of in the high 100s of kilos. They were 500 kilos. So they've made huge progress, but it's that last bit. And can you achieve that through offsets? Or should you be doing those nature plans anyway? 
and not calling them offsets. That's where the debate is. Yeah. And um, Roger, both our businesses uh, operate in the channel and a, a lot of our listeners will be people from the channel. Um, so if you look at the two ends of the channel, the uh, the designer or the the uh, vendors we call them, i.e. Apple, and then look at our customers uh, who are using uh, the products. Um, are you seeing a greater emphasis on both sides wanting to ensure that the channel is looking and taking, you know, net zero seriously? Absolutely. Uh, I'm more interested in the customers, the end user customers, really. They are all asking about it now. They're very interested. Uh, as soon as I finish this podcast, I'm going downstairs to present to a, a group of customers who are here today about this very topic. Customers are very, very, very interested in it. Uh, they feel it's important to get involved and to be seen to be working with sustainable suppliers, uh, selling in a responsible and sustainable way. It could okay. be cynical about the vendors and saying they're trying to do this in terms of reputation management. But in a sense, we all are in the business of reputation management, aren't we? If you actually boil it down and are very blunt about everything and why we're here. You know, pride is meant to be one of the seven deadly sins, but I think we all suffer from it. And that's not necessarily a, a negative driver. So we all want to look to be doing the right things. But uh, I see progress with the suppliers. Uh, I think tech data are a very responsible distributor. They're doing a particularly good job. Sims are obviously doing an outstanding job. Uh, so I think there is absolute momentum and if sometimes some of the momentum will temporarily slow because of more acute short-term economic pressures, that is to be understood. And let's hope we can get through those. I heard the Bank of England yesterday talking about interest rates being cut. Never heard them mention that at all this year. And they're now talking about them being cut next year, in the middle of next year, maybe earlier. So maybe there are green shoots to come. Green being the emphasis then. Yeah, no, very much so. Um, and Matt, um, uh, obviously, we, the benefit of, of having you on the podcast is you, know, you work very closely and have been very, a big part of Sims's journey. But outside IT channel where we operate in the other businesses you look at, uh, same question. Are you seeing enthusiasm or companies prepared to make that investment because they believe not just it's uh, the right thing to do from a almost a moral point of view but from a business point of view they just need to be doing it i mean i, I tend to operate in in the, in this sustainability sector anyway so i tend to get sort of i'm slightly biased towards companies that are want to take action of which sims is a great example but even those that aren't really are potentially doing it for more for reasons where they've got to compete within tender situations, for example, where they have those traditionally it's just been social value and corporate social responsibility questions. We're beginning to see um, greenhouse gas, carbon footprint questions coming into tender questions. So even companies that haven't historically re really paid too much attention to this topic are one way or the other now having to pay attention to it. And that's always quite an interesting type of work for me where people 
sort of, you know, the carbon footprint is revealed to them and they can suddenly see where the carbon emissions lie within their business. And typically it's usually a lot of diesel vehicles and a lot of supply chain stuff. So um, scope three, for example. So um, I was in an office yesterday that was being audited um, by a government person to look at their environmental and sustainability activity. And that's happening on a six monthly basis. So I was, and that's quite a large, uh, you know, that's a sort of um, a very big organisation, large um, budget, and I was quite encouraged to see that there's a continued focus on uh, carbon footprinting, for example, um, sustainability strategies, implementation of a strategy and associated action plans, and that kind of thing. Um, yeah, I think as Roger said, I think there is still the risk of people talking uh, about this topic and not actually really doing anything is still you know very much there but i think generally speaking the direction of travel is is towards sustainability rather than away from it so in the sort of years that i've been doing this type of work it's certainly the whole dialogue around this the con conversations around this people's understanding people's awareness is so much better than it used to be so yeah i think the trend is is, is towards sustainability now rather than away from it or rather than just simply ignoring it okay um and, and moving forwards um uh it would it's likely that we're going to have a general election in in 24 or at the, at the latest january 25 um, and then further forward is is the next COP. Uh, this clearly isn't a political broadcast, but um, do we all think that uh, the parties in um, in how they go to the country um, and what they will be, I guess, talking about and hoping to get our votes, there will be a strong element of what they will be doing environmentally? Roger? I, I think there will be. Uh, clearly, Labour and Liberal Democrats seem to be more aligned with the environment. Uh, Sir Ed Davey, leader of the Liberal Democrats, was, of course, Secretary of State for the Environment for five years in the Conservative Liberal Democrat coalition. Seems a long time ago, 2010 to 15. Yep. The wind turbines we have now working are because of the policies that he enacted. Uh, the question mark will be, how much the Conservatives want to put this environmental push to the fore or not. Uh, I thought yesterday was very interesting. If I lived in Scunthorpe, when my mother was born, actually, I would be very depressed and upset at the prospect of job losses. Of course, that's tragic. But the statement that was made was that basically... The furnaces which formerly were powered by coal are now going to be replaced with electric furnaces. We're in the teeth of all but a recession. And yet it was made clear that the world gas, the world steel industry needs to move forward with these new technologies. And that was described as the driving force because of the law, because of the net zero legal commitment that the government has made. And that's a decision that was made to move to these new furnaces, which are going to unfortunately need less jobs, which is tragic, but we'll be using far, far, uh, or, or having a far lower carbon footprint, which of course is good. So there, there we saw something very interesting. It's a key moment when there is economic vulnerability and yet not only in a sustainable imperative, but actually 
because we have signed up to this, a legal imperative. And what we're all arguing about or debating about next year in the general election as citizens of our precious democracy is probably about pace. I don't think anyone is saying that net zero is a bad thing. Everyone has agreed it's 2050 at the latest. The question is, how much of towards that 2050 progress do we need to make voluntarily or on a mandated basis by 2030? That's where the debate is. It's about the pace. And if you pick 10 environmental experts and put them in a panel from Bill Gates to Greta Thunberg to whoever, they would all say we're going in the right direction. We're just not doing it quickly enough. So I think it's important to make that point. We're not debating the trajectory. We're debating the the, the speed along that curve. Yeah, that's um. No, I totally agree with that. I think that's that's actually a very good way of putting it. It is actually about the pace as a. Yeah, I think to we're too far behind. Yeah. but we're doing the right. We're getting the right direction. Yeah, I mean, let's be clear. And Elon Musk said this: who sells nothing but electric vehicles. The world would collapse tomorrow and we would all start to die if we had no fossil fuels. We need fossil fuels just to survive. Yep. The question is, and I hate fossil fuels, the question is we've got to be superbly pragmatic and get ourselves off this drug of fossil fuels as quickly as we can, hopefully treating it as an economic opportunity as well as a moral imperative. But, you know, it is a period of transition. You know, I'd like us to accelerate through that transition as quickly as we can. And the answer, of course, is we will do it as quickly as we can afford it. And as as being blunt in all the countries who all have elections next year, by the way, Rishi did say on his interview last week, it will be in 24. He actually admitted that. Okay. Uh, so uh, the parties are all under pressure in that sense. We'll, um, we'll Matthew, to COP28 um, later on, I think you're going to talk about that. Yeah. Uh, Matthew, your your view, uh, looking at the how the uh, the election will unfold and how the the parties, as I said, it's not it's not about which is the the party that's uh, going to represent the environment the best, but but do you think it'll be high up on the agenda? And do you think the country will incorporate it into where they put their X in the in the box? to what their plans are environmentally well um i mean i mean as roger said i mean you know this is an economic opportunity in the stern report in what 2006 wasn't it said just that and yes we need to move more quickly so i think in economic terms i think there is certainly maybe some election noise around that topic. And I think, you know, the left and the right are quite, you know, are, 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 you know they converge on, on, on sustainability and environmental topics. There's, um, there's actually not a lot between them, um, to be honest. And I think, the, you know, the voting public, when it comes to um, voting, will, will tend to sort of vote very much along, alongside their sort of um, perception of, of, of the government rather than reality. I mean, I think there are quite a lot of good things happening still. I mean, renewable energy production uh, remains high, capacity is increasing. Um, you know, we're, the rate of solar PV installation is, is, is at its highest since 20, uh, 2017, with, and that's in a subsidy-free environment. 
the boiler upgrade scheme, whilst only 25,000 grants so far, I, I think with the recent increase from five to seven and a half thousand pounds per per technology, will will certainly make that accelerate. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm I hear about projects, large solar PV projects, even one locally to us. So there, there's still quite a lot of investment to, to be had, I think, from from renewable energy. So certainly, I think it's an e- has a massive economic potential. Still, all governments of all uh, colours have referred to green jobs and how many there could be. Uh, none of none of those governments have really truly delivered on that sort of ambition i mean yes there are more green jobs to be had uh, uh and i really do hope that um you know a government of any flavor can actually turn that into a reality uh, but certainly uh, in terms of the voting public i mean i think they'll think about their pocket as roger described i think they they think about their cars their the cost of driving to work the cost of shopping i think the cost of living uh, issue will will probably feature quite well, but um, yes, after was it thirteen years? Fourteen? It'll be fourteen years, won't it? After fourteen years, I think uh, change is almost inevitable, and um, let's hope the next government picks this up and and carries on. And I and I think there's an awful lot of good stuff for them to pick up and carry on with, and hopefully make it even better. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just a, a quick one on um, on let's say the millennials will be voting for the first time. Do you think uh, that generation see and put greater importance on the environment than say our generation? I think yes and no. I mean, I think yes, in the sense that they probably have a far greater awareness of the issues, but perhaps no in the sense that do, does that mean they take, the same or more action. I mean, I think I'm aware that just take a simple topic like recycling, it's the older generations who actually recycle the most and they're perhaps more sustainable in the way they conduct their their lives and their household. So there's a real stark contradiction in in, in sort of outward appearance and, and actual activity. Yeah. Um, but that's an opportunity. I think, you know, certainly the education around the environment um, has increased and improved you know, beyond all, yeah, it's it's, it's massively better. Um, that has led, of course, to a lot of activism as well, which is no bad thing as long as it's done in a sensible way. So, yes, I think uh, the millennials will probably be voting for the greenest government if if they vote, because we know that the millennials think very differently to us, and it's not always easy to predict what they'll do next. Yeah, no. And Roger, your your thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm more optimistic. I think younger people really do care about it. I hear you about possible low turnouts. I understand that. And sometimes younger people can be maybe a, a bit selfish when they don't think about putting things in the right bins or whatever. I, I do hear you there. Uh, but on the whole, I think that uh, on the whole, I think that views have changed and I, I believe they think that sustainability is very much at the center now I, I remain optimistic there okay um and without putting you uh, both on the spot but to sort of end with if um let's start with you Roger if uh you were uh doing the introductory uh speech to open the next cop what would be your running call 
to your audience and indeed the world or whoever's listening? Well, it's a rallying call and a wish. Do you know what I'd want to do? This whole concept of poacher turned gate gamekeeper and make the bad boy or the bad girl the prefect. I think the most important thing about COP, which obviously stands for the United Nations Conference of the Parties, and we're now on COP28, which is opening on the 30th of November. The famous one in Britain was COP26, which was held in uh, in uh, Britain, as you know, in Glasgow. And then COP27 was held in Egypt. They have a sort of rotation thing, a la United Nations. COP28 has controversially been held in the United Arab Emirates, and therefore they are allowed to appoint the chairman of COP, and they've appointed the chief executive of the state-owned oil company. At which point you might want to put your head in your hands and think, what is this is the equivalent of appointing a CEO of a cigarette company to oversee a conference on cancer cures, some campaign groups have said. Or is it? Should we try and be counterintuitive here? So in answer to your question, what I would say is I want COP29 to be held in China. I would go straight for the bullseye. That's what I want. Now, people don't know this, but the Biodiversity Conference, which is a sort of offshoot cousin of COP, held by the United Nations, most recently, and these things go drag on, this was held for about six months in Kunming in China. China made such a huge effort about this. There was more achieved in that than ever because they wanted to show China in a good light, in a position of diplomatic strength, again, reputational uh, impact being watched here, and national pride, and they did a really good job. And the whole point about worldwide global emissions is China and America. The most important thing that Joe Biden did was he appointed John Kerry to a new role, which is a similar in status to Secretary of State. Anthony Blinken does the normal Foreign Secretary stuff, and of course he's very busy at the moment in, in the Middle East. But John Kerry spends half his time in China. Because if the US and China do not get their act together on global emissions, we've got no chance. And the answer is they've been talking all the time. And there's about 20 committees all set up and they're working all the time. So I would want to leap on top of this now and make COP29 hell. They're saying it's going to be in Eastern Europe. And I'm thinking, why? Because political correctness says that's where the next rotation should be. I would hell it in China because then China will want to make it a success. And they're about to start to turn off this Christmas new coal-fired power station. Do you think that's too long? They're still opening new coal-fired power stations even now in November. But at Christmas, they stop. And from next year, they're not going to be coal-fired anymore, the new power stations. And that's what we want. And I think if we can get China running the COP, that's what I would want, because I think then they will want to make a special effort to make it a success. Okay. Uh, Matt, so your view about COP29 being in China and, and your rallying call or, or wishes that you would share if you were opening the next COP? Uh, well, COP29 in China, I think that would be a brilliant thing for all the reasons that Roger said. I think that would be a very good thing. I, don't, I actually don't know where COP29 will be. Europe. Sorry, Roger? They're saying an unspecified country to be decided this year, but it will be in Eastern Europe because it's Eastern Europe's turn. 
Okay, well, if it was Poland, then I'd say the same message that you said about coal power stations, because Poland is very reliant on coal still for its electricity production. So that, that's a big issue for them. But coming back to COP28, I mean, I can see in the agenda, there's a lot to do with finance, trade, accountability. That's December 4th. December 6th, we've got um, uh, um, transport is going to be discussed and what have you. So I do, I think my rallying call would be for COP28 to focus back onto really the opportunities to decarbonize transportation more quickly, which is one of the most sort of recalcitrant parts of any country's carbon footprint. So we're hearing quite a lot about sustainable, sustainable aviation fuel at the moment. Uh, and the first uh, SAF flight will take place shortly, uh, I think this month or next month. And that's going to be quite interesting. And I, I think really I would like uh, the emphasis on accountability uh, to be made more strong. And I believe there are, the UK government is consulting at the moment on scope three emissions and how they are accounted and reported. So I certainly think this is kind of a reinforce the emphasis that business more businesses need to take action and it's not just down to you know households individuals where i I believe individuals and households are already acting generally speaking in a very sustainable way we've got to get the focus back onto businesses Uh, you only have to walk around central london on, on a cold winter's evening to see how many office lights are just left on all the time or for a lot of the time so yeah i think i'd go back to accountability as my rallying call okay well thanks um gents for your time as always really really interesting discussion and yeah it's kind of encouraging at least in in our in our little world roger's off now to meet customers and talk about all things environmental and you matt and you and myself uh, meeting about uh, our, uh, our our piece of land over in Shoston and kent so it's good that our you know typical day is still spent thinking about the environment but thank you so much and thank you to all those who've listened to this um and let's hope uh cop 29 actually does happen in china i agree what a great way to end this podcast thanks so much